through this whole process too, I realized the anticipation of everything you do of starting a business is way worse than when you're actually in it. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? I'm Blake Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. Today's episode is brought to you by Carmen Barella, who is one of the Patreon supporters for the show. Um, thank you so much to Carmen. Thank you so much to all the other Patreon supporters who, without you guys, uh, we could definitely not make this show. So thank you so much. If you would like to support the show like Carmen does, head on over to patreon.com slash Intern, and you can choose like a dollar an episode or whatever you want, um, anything to help support the show. Show. It all goes a long way and just helps out so much. So on to today's episode. In it, I interview Lauren Denuser, who is the owner of Local Nomad, which is a local boutique shop here in Phoenix, Arizona. And my wife met Lauren and uh, they really hit it off. And then I met Lauren and then we really hit it off. And she is just so awesome. And just in the past uh, year or so opened up a... Um, a kind of like boutique store with clothing and uh, furniture and all kinds of other like little goods and knickknacks and stuff like that. Just a really, really awesome shop here in Phoenix. And I, ha- I realized that I had never done an episode, like I've done episodes plenty of episodes with entrepreneurs of various types. And I never really did one with just like a brick and mortar store owner, like someone that had to actually secure a lease and like that most of their business is done out of an actual shop. And uh, so finally, we are going to cover that. So if you have ever wondered about actually opening up your own store, this a lot of the things that we talk about here will go into anything. Like if you wanted to open a uh, a bar or a coffee shop or like whatever it was um so many of the things that we cover here would would still be pertinent and uh and lauren has gone through so much and is so intelligent and has so much good advice and good things to share in this episode i think uh all of you will like it a lot without further ado here is boutique shop owner Lauren, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Hi, Blake. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So before we jump into some of the really like technical questions about how to open the <laughs> store and stuff like that, which I like cannot wait to hear the answers to, because like I feel like myself and probably everyone in the entire world always has some sort of dream about like some little shop that they open. Like, oh, it'd be so cool to have like uh, some little bar or like a coffee shop yeah. or a clothing store, whatever it is. It's like everyone has that mini dream inside of them. But the biggest thing is like, I have no effing idea how to do that. And that's yeah. like, you know, kind of what, <laughs> how everyone feels, I'm sure. Uh-huh. So I can't wait to get to that. So before we get to that, I would love to know what your background is. And were you at some point, like, it would be cool to do something like that. I have absolutely no idea how to do that. And then how, I guess, did you overcome that and come to this place where you did do it? Yeah. So, um, I've kind of always been on this track. My my goal in life for many, many, many years was always to open a shop. And I kind of lost track of that dream kind of along the way because I got really scared like most people. And I'm like, wow, that's a really big endeavor. But I uh, went to college and ended up majoring in fashion merchandising. I had the intent of majoring in business. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I've always loved fashion. And I didn't know you could, you know, really do this with your life. 
And so um, I took a ton of fashion and business and entrepreneurship classes in college. And then after that, ended up moving out to San Francisco and getting a job with The Gap. So I was a buyer for The Gap for about six years. And I worked for their online divisions, doing inventory management, and then uh, buying some more of the merchandising, more of the fun part, not just looking in spreadsheets all day, (laughs) which I still did plenty of. Um, And then, you know, after about six years, I was kind of like, okay, I think I'm ready for the next thing. I really want to be my own boss. I've learned everything I can here. And I went on to manage a little boutique in San Francisco. I worked really closely with the owner and I did a lot of buying. I went on a lot of trade show trips with her and just kind of learned the ropes. And the main reason I went to do that job and I did it for two years was to just validate okay, is this really what I want to do with my life? Because it's a huge endeavor. And so I'm not exactly like a huge risk taker. Like it was very kind of calculated how I went about, you know, fulfilling this dream. That's such a good idea. And I love it when people on this show give advice about getting internships or this or that. Because I think so often in life, we think we want something that we don't, yes. like not just with jobs, <laughs> but like with everything, like totally. romance, this, that. It's like, oh, you're yeah. like, oh, like I want that thing so bad. And then you get it. You're like, ah, damn, it's not quite what I had in mind. Yeah. So really smart idea on your part. So the thing to me that makes so much sense in that path that you took as well, that mm-hmm. I would wonder now, having had the experience of opening up your own store and not to like jump too far forward here, right? is do you also have to have a good amount of money saved up to be able to open your own store. You say like, oh, you always wanted to have your own shop. (laughs) You graduate college, like you have nothing to your name, you know? So it's not like, oh, sweet, let me go open my own shop right now. But now that you've done it, like there's so many things that I feel like I've learned from starting my own thing that it's like, I could have done this earlier, Mm -hmm. I feel like, than I I did. Yeah. Um, Do you feel like you could have tackled this before you had money or do you really need a good amount of money saved up? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, No, I mean, I was really fortunate in that um, my husband was very supportive of this dream, both emotionally and financially. Um, We that's kind of I lost sight of my dream when I was out of college. I was working this job and I was making a decent living. But living in San Francisco, you know, I was spending most of my money because of the cost of living there. And so, um, you know, down the line, my husband and I had saved up enough money collectively where we felt like, okay, you know, I've had all this experience. This, again, is more of like a calculated risk. And this like this is my end game like this is what i want to do and you know he felt really comfortable financially funding it because i had had all of this experience um and so yeah i mean you do you need quite a bit of money i did you know it's really great cuz you can open a credit card these days with a really high credit limit and you don't have to pay any interest for about 18 months which is what i did which funded a lot of it um and we can go into more detail about you know the space that you choose too that has a lot to do with how much of an investment it is at right. the beginning right but yeah money i yeah i couldn't have done it just on my own or you know you can always go the bank route too and make a business plan and gone that route and luckily you know i didn't have to do that and i don't know which would be scarier you know us kind of taking our savings or having to pay the bank back but definitely better off with the savings i can't yeah. i always think about that i can't imagine it's like you get in your head enough as is 
when it's your money and yeah. like money that you have yeah. and you're losing it and, and right. it's your business it's and you're anxious and it's ways. like if it's money you don't have and you're owing someone yeah. more then it's like oh my gosh like yeah um the amount of pressure that would be put on you is just it would just be awful oh for sure um yeah. not to mention i'm sure that if you went to a bank with some sort of business plan and you were mm-hmm. 22 years old fresh out of college oh just yeah like, no way sorry dude yeah like i'm sure you're like well-intentioned and this is a nice business plan but yeah. we're not just giving out checks i mean there's no way and i i mean looking back on my experience too like i i never you know wanted to do it that early anyway like i knew i needed all of this experience and i you know got the amazing corporate experience and i think i learned you know very conceptually you know how to run a, a retail business in my experience a huge retail business and then learning you know the little boutique side of it those things were so different but conceptually they are very similar too and uh, yeah yeah that's great so all right let's talk about some of the more nitty-gritty stuff about opening up a store so yeah first of all uh what the hell do you need to like begin this process <laughs> do you need to find yourself a like real estate agent do you need like <laughs> I guess go through some of like the huge number of things on a checklist that you're going to need to do when you're like, hey, I want to open up blank type of shop. Yeah, there are so many things. <laughs> Number one, Google becomes your best friend. Uh, <laughs> Google helps with everything. Um, I had zero idea what I was doing. I like I had so much experience, but I also had no idea what I was doing at the exact same time. Right. So, you know, I mean, first you need to get permits, which you go on your state's you know, state government website and find a business license, get your, you know, your EIN number and do that whole thing and submit some paperwork. And it's all really scary. And there's a lot of words. And um, again, you Google what all of that means. And then um, you have to so get, a saying, get a business license. license, not not one that like uh, allows you to work at this particular address or whatever, but just one that allows you to do business. To have a in business. Your yeah, yeah. Like I did it. I so before I opened the shop in Phoenix and I lived in San Francisco. I was creating the business while I lived in California. Um, and then I moved here and four months later opened it in Phoenix. So I created the business while I was in California um, and then kind of transferred it over to Arizona afterward, which was pretty easy. Um, so yeah, you just have to have a business license that says I can do business under this name, LLC or you know whatever you choose. Mm-hmm. And then for retail, I needed to get a resale license. So you file for that too. And that's another, you know, tax entity or something that you have to file for. So for me, I had to get two different licenses. And then, did you have a lawyer that helped you through this? No. Again, I just, I kind of, <laughs> you just kind of learn that you have to figure things out, yeah, which totally. is the scary Unless part about it. Unless you want to pay tons of money to people exactly. every step along the way. Yeah. you. I did get a lawyer down the road, but I'll get to that part. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for this stuff, you know, there's a lot of information on, you know, your state government's website about how do I start a business? Because they know that all of the people doing this kind of have no idea what they're doing. So they, it was actually pretty helpful yeah. and I figured it out. It probably took me a few days, but I did it. Cool. Um, and so then, you know, for me, I knew I wanted to open a brick and mortar store and a lot of people were like, well, you know, why don't you just start with a website? And for me, I, I knew I needed a store. I was going to make a lot more money if I had a store, even though it was a far greater risk. Um, that's just what I wanted to do. So I started to look for a space. Um, and I actually found the shopping plaza that I'm in on Instagram. So I started looking at all things Phoenix once we decided to move down there um, and found the space that way. I presented my business plan that I came up with in a couple of weeks to the developers of the 
uh, plaza and then realized I actually needed to go through a real estate broker, <laughs> which I didn't know. So then you I got a broker. Just get the space from them. No, I think legally you have to go through a broker. Interesting. So yeah, my husband was like, oh, you just emailed them. Okay, that's pretty aggressive. I didn't know. Yeah. It still worked out fine. Yeah. But yeah, legally, like they have to kind of be the middleman and um, help you kind of negotiate the lease or set everything up. So um, so I worked with my broker. He was like, all right, you know, this sounds good, blah, blah, blah. I actually passed, you know, my lease on to one of our friends in California who's also a commercial real estate broker. And he looked over everything and gave me some comments of his. And then finally, this is where we hired a lawyer, um, which I guess, you know, is pretty much protocol when you have a, it was like a 60 page lease. And again, I didn't know what 55 of those pages. <laughs> yeah, so, totally. So yeah, uh, just to, you know, check everything and he gave us comments. So we went back and forth several times over a couple months um, with the leasing agency and then finally came to an agreement and signed the lease like four months later. Um, so let's see, those were some things off of the checklist. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I guess then, you know, we, oh, I hired an architect. So in my particular space, we were in a shopping center that was going under renovation. And so they delivered the space to me. This is all lingo I learned again. Uh, in a gray shell, which means there was nothing in it. They pretty much gutted the whole space huh. of this whole shopping plaza. So, which was cool because then I could do anything I wanted with it. Um, but we had to design everything from, you know, we were just left with the concrete floors and it was down to the studs. And then you have to pay to do all that though. Yeah. So it's almost the like lease, these people are then benefiting from your paying oh, money. Sure. Then. It's like, yeah, it's like I'm paying rent and renovating my apartment and yeah, making it look really awesome. Crazy. However, they do give you a stipend. So I got quite a bit of money oh, cool. to pay for all of this, to bring it from what they call a gray shell to a vanilla shell, which means putting in drywall, electric, you know, plumbing, um, all of those things, flooring, you know, making it into a space a where you can vanilla have a, biz- a vanilla space. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And if you wanted to look anything greater than vanilla, you need to pay your own money. Yes. Which is what we learned yeah. later. And our <laughs> the shop, I mean, the shop's design, it all turned out really amazingly, but what our budget was at the beginning was far exceeded <laughs> after everything. So, I mean, and, and I learned afterward, too, and we kind of knew at the beginning, like, oh, we might go over this money that they're giving us, you know, by X amount, and it ended up being way greater, which was a really great learning. So that's what I was kind of referring to earlier when the initial investment really depends on the space that you get. Yeah. So, you know, if you go into a space where it used to be a shop or some kind of business and close down and you might have to put in, you know, like a few or five or maybe $10,000 into it to make it your own that's way less of an investment than doing it this way. Right. Yeah. If they're just like, Hey, the rent is $2,000 a month. It just is what it is. But there's walls and like a toilet. Yeah. If you want to make it a little more personal, then yeah. Yeah. A couple grand. So yeah, yeah, you're not out that much money for sure. And that's a better way of doing it. But, but your store looks awesome. So thank you. (laughs) That's what, that's how you have to think of it at the end. You know, it was all worth it making it back, you know. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, it was a it was a huge initial investment that we weren't really prepared for. So, tell us the other steps that need to lead up to you being okay. able to open the doors so, and sell everything. Yes. So, um I started working on creating our website. So, 
you know, you're making all of these orders. I start doing orders, you know, last January, we opened this October. We opened a few months later too than I wanted to. We were supposed to open in like July or August. What are the things that made it take longer? Construction. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Lots of construction and just kind of working with our contractors and architects and it all just took longer than we thought. And again, I didn't know what I was doing and going back, I would do things a lot differently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you're making all these orders and then all of a sudden, you know, it's July or August and you're getting all of these boxes of stuff in that were, you know, taking up all of my apartment for many months. And so you have to start entering your inventory into whatever system you use. We ended up using Shopify, um, that took another like week or two of my life, just, um, looking up POS systems Yeah, because there are so many out there these days and there's so much information on them. So I, researched as much as I could because I wanted a really, really great one. And um, I found that Shopify was the best. And so I start, you know, entering all of my inventory in there um, and then simultaneously creating my website too. And I had already had, you know, an idea of my branding. We had, I had already come up with the logo or worked with someone to design it um, months prior. So that was kind of already in place. And now it was just really kind of starting to do logistical work Um and yeah, so we got the website. We got the website up probably like a couple of weeks after we opened, but you have to enter all this inventory and the pricing and put, you know, photos on the website and product descriptions and all of these things, as well as price tag everything in the store. Um, so that's what took up a bulk of the time, like two or so months leading up to it. Okay. So let's talk about getting inventory because obviously yeah. you need stuff to be able to sell it. <laughs> How do you get um, it? You do clothing. That's like I like I said, I feel like the top three stores that people would want to open would be like <laughs> clothing, alcohol, or coffee. So and, and you know, it's yeah. all gonna follow the same principles of like <laughs> if I want to um if I want to open up a like a bar tomorrow or something, like do I just like call one eight hundred Budweiser and I'm like, Hello, <laughs> sir, like can I have some beer? Like, how do I get it? Like how does this all happen? How do I find exactly what beers I want or whatever? Like where do you go to find all the clothes that you keep in your shop? And then do you just reach out to every person and say, um, hello, can I have some of your clothes, please? Like, and how <laughs> much like it, of a discount do I get because I'm like a retail shop and like yeah. all these sorts of like things? How do you do that? Yeah, I mean, that's the fun part. I get this question a lot, um, which I don't know. I, it kind of sounds funny to me because once you start asking people, like you really just go on someone's website and everyone has a contact on their website and you're like, hey, my name's Lauren. I'm starting this shop called Local Nomad and this is the concept of the shop. These are other brands I'm going to carry. This is the product mix I have. And you learn that, well, everyone wants to sell you their stuff. Of course. Of course. So (laughs) then a light goes off and you're like, wow, I can like buy anything I want. Yeah. Which is really fun, but also very dangerous. Um, because you have to stay really, really focused. You're just an individual shop, though, which would make me yeah. wonder about pricing and things like that. Like, are you just having to pay the full cost for these things or something? No. Because, I mean, you can't be buying like, hey, let me buy like 700 of those T-shirts. <laughs> it's like you're probably like, let me buy two in each size and we'll see yeah. how it does. You yeah, know? exactly. And so I get wholesale pricing. So that resale license I was talking about, that enables you to get wholesale pricing. And um, so I only work with wholesale vendors. So it's and wholesale pricing is typically fifty percent of the retail price you pay. For some things, it's a little like you have a higher markup than fifty percent. Sometimes it's a sixty or seventy, 
you know, percent markup. Um, but typically, and for small boutiques too, it's a, it's a keystone markup, which is it's marked up, you know, twice a hundred percent. So, um, yeah, you just, you just kind of start reaching out to people. And so the way I find my goods, so we carry mostly handcrafted goods, um, and so we work with smaller makers. A lot of people we work with are, you know, a stay-at-home mom who has three kids and she makes candles on the side and she has like a little team of a few people or, you know, just companies who kind of make things in smaller batches and give back to the world somehow. So that's what our entire assortment is really focused on. Mm-hmm. And so I find these people, one, through the World Wide Web. There's a lot of stuff out there. I find people through Instagram and on blogs. And when I was opening the store, probably... For an entire year, I kept this huge running spreadsheet of vendors that I liked, and I would keep their contact information, like where I found out about them. And so eventually, I started just contacting everyone. Um, And, you know, I had to kind of whittle down the list a little bit and say, oh, maybe that one I don't need so much, and maybe this one isn't working, or maybe not yet, you know, holding off on these. But um, I find, so yeah, I find a lot of stuff on the internet. I go to trade shows, too, and I try to go to you know, kind of smaller trade shows that have really unique products and unique brands that a lot of other stores aren't carrying. And I also, I am lucky enough, I travel a lot. Um, So, you know, I'll go, not so much like I'm an international jet setter, but, but, you know, I'll go to Portland on the weekends or Austin or New York. And I try, wherever I travel for whatever reason I'm there, I always make a point to go into locally owned shops wherever I go. And so then I, you know, kind of see what they're carrying and, you know, maybe I'll pick up like a couple of the brands. You know, I was just in Seattle last weekend and went into this awesome shop and they carried a lot of, you know, local Seattle makers. And I was like, wow, okay, well, that would be cool. So, you know, maybe I'll find one local Seattle maker and then I'll sell them in my shop. Hmm. And do you you always purchase ahead of time and then sell it. Is there any Mm -hmm. sort of like consignment sort of work where people just like, I would imagine, especially once you have a retail space, like you said, people are always trying to like sell you stuff. Yeah. (laughs) I would imagine once you have a retail space, you probably have a lot of people that come in and they're like, Hey, I've got the, like, I'm a stay at home mom. I make these awesome candles. Uh, Can I just like set these on your counter and you let me know if they sell and you can have like blank percent of the profit or something. Yes. That happens a lot now, which is very cool. And it's also one of the harder parts of my job. Having to say no to tons of people. Yes. I really hate doing that and I'm not great at it. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's what I have to do. And it's, you know, it's very flattering. Like people come in or they'll email or call and say, hey, you know, we'd love to sell you our products. And, you know, the hard part of my job is I, you know, I am curating this assortment and I'm trying to do it very thoughtfully and very focused. And so... I, you know, 95% of the time I will say no because, and I'll tell people, you know, it's just, you know, this product isn't the exact fit that we're looking for. It doesn't exactly match our aesthetic. You know, packaging is really important to me. So Mm. if a product, you know, it's, it's really great stuff, but the packaging is just, you know, not great or it doesn't fit the vibe of our store, then I can't sell it. So yeah, that's, that's something that's tough. And, you know, some stores definitely do can, do do consignment and someday maybe we'll do that with bigger things maybe like artwork or something but Mm, yeah yeah so that could be an opportunity someday what are some of the before we like get further along i guess in the whole process what are some of the lessons that you learned throughout the like things that we've talked about so far like buying (laughs) and opening and these things that you 
would do differently or like an area where maybe you like screwed something up that it's like, ah, damn, like I should not have bought like 10,000 of those necklaces that one time. (laughs) I've totally screwed stuff up. (laughs) Luckily I haven't bought 10,000 of something, but I probably bought like 10 of something that I should have brought or bought like zero of. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Well, one interesting thing I always tell people. um, So yeah, clothing's a a part of our store. It's probably about 15% of our entire assortment. Um, but one for, so we opened in October in Phoenix. It's uh, pretty hot still in October. <laughs> and um, not living in Phoenix, it was kind of difficult for me. You know, I had an idea of who my customer would be. I looked up the demographics demographics of the area. I've hung out in the area of where my shop is for several years, like on vacation here and there. Uh, but it was it was kind of a crapshoot, you know? I'm like, okay. The hard part and the fun part about my job is like, oh, well, I really like this. I think people are going to like it. And then you make the purchase, right? Totally. So you're really banking on people liking what you like. It's so, (laughs) man, it's so interesting. So like you and I both moved here from San Francisco, which is crazy, by the way. Yeah. Like in the same month almost. I feel like for the most part, like you and myself and my wife and stuff, like we we look like we belong in San Francisco more or less. (laughs) And then... In Phoenix, there's less people that there's. I, I should say this: like, there's a ton of people that look like us in Phoenix, but it's like a little bit less dense. Like, I'll go, yeah. I go out to certain restaurants or bars or whatever, and like everyone looks like me, you know. Right. Yeah. And then for sure. I will go other places. Uh, I should say I go the majority of other places, and yeah. people are dressed totally differently. Yeah. You know, like everyone. Um, looks a little bit more like they're in like Las Vegas or Beverly Hills or something. And like, nobody is dressing like that in San Francisco, you know, like people have money in San Francisco, but it doesn't come off that. It's just like way more hipstery in San Francisco, you know? It is. So it's just like so much more commonplace. So I would imagine it's got to be difficult. This difficult thing when you're trying to open the shop here where it's like, okay, like I know that there are people like me because I see them, especially at some of these restaurants or bars. But I just don't know how many of them there are. And is it enough of a population density that it is going to float these things that I want to put in the store? Or do yeah. I have to cave and sell out and, like, yeah. <laughs> and you know, sell <laughs> yeah. these other things instead? Yeah, I mean, it's a crazy thing to think about. And you're so right. Like, it is very different here. And I, I you know, in starting this, I don't know if I'd really recommend moving to a new state and starting a business all within like four months. (laughs) Right, right. That was maybe also just a general grand mistake. But, uh, you know, it worked out. But yeah, you know, I when I think of my customer there, there are a lot of people who would be, you know, my exact target customer. And I see them, like you said, at the coffee shops I go to and restaurants I go to. Um, and, you know, it's just it's finding those people and bringing them to the store because there's plenty of people who would love the shop and, you know, love everything that I carry. But it's it's really just finding them, I think, is the hard part. And there are a lot of people who walk into the store and I'm like, you know, oh, they're, you know, they're probably not going to buy anything. And it's this woman and she ends up spending five hundred dollars on clothes like I so I don't I make no judgments anymore about yeah, it because totally. it's crazy. I learned that really early on. Um, but yeah, and just, I think clothing is the tough part too. You know, I think a lot of the gifting items and stuff that I carry, you know, people generally like, and it's definitely a certain kind of person, but it's a little more of a broad range of customer who Mm -hmm. goes after gifting items or kids stuff or 
accessories, jewelry, but clothing was interesting. The main thing I've learned so far is that I bought way too much black clothing. Hmm. And which makes sense coming from San Francisco. I'm like, well, everyone wears black all the time. I yeah. wear black all the time. I, you blew my mind when you said that. Yeah. Like, black is the, like, I mean, it looks great always. Yeah. People in Phoenix don't wear black all the time because yeah. it's sunny and warm here. Yeah. I was like, duh. Like, <laughs> I, I, that's just something I didn't think about at all before. Yeah. I'm like, well, everyone would always buy something in black because it's safer. And a lot of the buys I did, I tried to be really safe with my clothing buys in the fall when I opened. And I was like, well, you know, I'm probably going to buy black over like, you know, this blue and green print or something because black's safer and it'll sell. And it's totally the opposite. Like, yeah. should have bought the prints. Yeah. yeah. So, what do you do with, since you are not doing consignment and you're buying this all ahead of time, what do you do when you have extra stuff then? You just give it away to people at Christmas? Well, you just put it on sale. Oh, yeah. Good point. <laughs> so, it yeah, will sell. So, it will. And there, another mistake I've made also in the clothing world, most of my mistakes have been in clothing. Um, which, you know, is probably better than other things because yeah. you can kind of put it on sale and people will just buy it eventually. Um, I do have a few items left over from fall that I think I'm going to try to recycle next fall. Yeah. Um, but one other thing I did was I, and I had anxiety about this shipment for months and I should have canceled it. And it was this one clothing line I bought from Copenhagen. It was like a little out there and it was a little too like trendy for the price point it was at. And I would like keep me up at night. And finally it came in. I'm like, all right, here it is. Didn't sell at all. Mm. Like I thought, (laughs) which is, I mean, at least I kind of knew, but I should have tried to do something about it. And so I ended up emailing the company, you know, late December. And I was like, hey, this just really isn't working out. Like this is like my customer is not going for it. Is there anything I can trade it out for? And so so, and it's harder because I work with really small companies, and this one was a little bit bigger. They're out of Copenhagen, actually, and so they sell kind of internationally. So um, it wasn't just like a little mom-and-pop design team because normally they wouldn't ever take anything back, right? as they shouldn't. Right. You probably wouldn't even ask if it was just... No, no. But luckily, they let me trade in, you know, like a 1000 or so dollars of merchandise in for um, new spring product. So that really saved me because I would have had to... Mar- I, I, wasn't even selling it at Markdown. So that's why I really panicked. Wow. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get rid of this stuff. Yeah, for sure. You're yeah. just going to be wearing it every day. And it day, wasn't like... heinous. It just, yeah, it just wasn't selling. So, so. <laughs> let's talk about price point because yeah. you just said about like it was too trendy for the price or something. First of all, what do you mean by that yeah. exactly? Like, <laughs> is, the, is it like the more trendy something is, the higher price you can charge or the opposite, the more trendy it is, the lower price it has to be. It has to be more like avant-garde and obscure for you to charge a high price for it. Yeah, I would say this is kind of a specific one, but yeah, it was, you know, it was a print that you would probably buy and get sick of you know, six months later or something. And it was like $220. Hmm. Like some, like, okay, so something trendy in my eyes and in my shop, what I've seen is if it's really trendy, it better be cheaper than everything else. But people will definitely invest in a really great, you know, sheath dress or something that's, you know, black or gray or maybe like a neutral color that, you know, is really timeless and they can wear for years. Right. And most of our clothing is pretty timeless and, but it's also unique and has a little bit of a twist to it. But a lot of the things I buy, like my filter is, okay, you're going to be able to wear this for years to come and not get sick of it. Right. Okay. 
Let's talk about opening up the shop here in Arizona. Uh, there, there's another interesting, like, I guess, wrinkle in that. Yeah. Um, well, there are a lot of people with, uh, like, a lot of money here, like the, uh, yeah. the aforementioned, uh, like, Las Vegas uh, <laughs> sort of crowd, you know? Um, and that being said, like, the, 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 the larger scope of, like, the hipster demographic does not mm-hmm. have tons of money. You know, yeah. like a lot of them are millennials and they uh, would rather have a uh, an enjoyed life of being a barista than yeah. uh, doing, you know, whatever, like something uh-huh. than selling their soul and making six figures or whatever yeah. it is. And so uh, it's got to be a difficult thing where these people also care a lot about what they're wearing and have this taste and this way yeah. that they want to look and those sorts of things are being made by these like smaller mom and pop mm-hmm. people, like the people that you really enjoy. Um, and those things just cost money. Like how I yeah. like, how the hell do you price this in a way, which by the way, I was at your shop today and mm-hmm. like, I was really surprised by how inexpensive so many of the things in there oh, were because well, I'm glad you from my experience, I mean, granted I also just moved here from San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> my experience when I go into a shop that is not a national shop, that's like a yeah. local shop in San Francisco is like, Everything has three digits on it. Like yeah. there is nothing that's only like two digits. And um, and that's just hard. It's one yeah. of those things where it's like, well, this is cool and I would like to buy it. But when it is uh, like twofold, threefold, fourfold more than something that is just a little bit beneath it that I could get at like Urban Outfitters or something. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to get the slightly worse thing at Urban Outfitters that <laughs> yeah. is like $200 less expensive or something, you know? So yeah. um I guess knowing that your demographic is like that and yeah. they're younger and they don't have just like boatloads of cash, how do you set your pricing and how do you try to do all that? Yeah. Well, I have so many things to say about all of that. So <laughs> so first of all, I, I I definitely do control my pricing, but because I work with smaller vendors, you know, and like I was saying, I the typical markup for boutiques is 100%. So if I buy, you know, the ceramic mug for 25 bucks, I'm typically going to charge 50 for it. And a lot of the time I'll take into account shipping. And so I'll charge, you know, maybe 54 for it just to, you know, put the blanket shipping cost because sometimes shipping is like $50 if I buy 15 mugs, you know, and they were shipped from Brooklyn or something. Question. Are yeah. you, is this an actual example? Are you to insinuate there are mugs that cost $50 that people buy mugs yeah. for $50? Okay. Well, you didn't you see those in my, my shop. I have $42 mugs and they're beautiful and they're handmade by a gal. I'm sure they San are. Well, 42 is not, somehow 42 <laughs> okay, is much so less bad than like $50 mug. But, uh, Someday I might. Yeah. <laughs> but have you? I'm taking a ceramics class right now. Ceramics is very, very difficult. Asta so. <laughs> just took one. I'm trying to look around. Asta, my wife, just took one. I'm trying to look around the office and see if there's like something in here that she just made. But uh, they're all plain white and they're just cylinders. Just a whole bunch of plain white cylinders. It's hard. So I believe you that it's really, really I've hard. I hardly made a cylinder. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. <laughs> But yes, in in out in the world, in the boutique world, there are definitely fifty, you know, to seventy five plus dollar ceramic mugs. Yeah. Ceramics are very trendy right now. Urban Outfitters is probably selling ceramic mugs that are handmade by people wherever in Brooklyn or something. Yeah. Um. So let's see. So yeah, exactly. I don't have exact control over my pricing. However, I do have a price filter for each category that I carry. So, you know, using home goods as an example, like, yeah, I'm probably not going to buy mugs that cost more than $42 is definitely my threshold. And I (laughs) actually haven't sold any yet, but, (laughs) 
<laughs> but that's probably the highest I would go there, you know. And even if I found a, you know, a ceramicist where I loved their work and everything and it was, you know, she was selling them for $60, I just can't buy that, at least at this point. Right. And hopefully and perhaps I will find that customer someday who will buy those things. Um, but generally, I just don't want to go there. For clothing, my threshold is $250, but I like to keep most things within you know, the 100 to $150 range. So which, I was really happy with and uh, surprised by the fact that you even carried men's clothes. That was yeah. super awesome. Um, <laughs> do you have a different threshold for men's clothes than Absolutely. you do women? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, men's clothes. So we really only carry um, one brand right now. It's Mollusk. They're out of California and they manufacture everything in California too. Um but, you know, the threshold there is about $50 max for a T-shirt. I would say 35 is like our um, our sweet spot price point. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they make really great button-down shirts that can go up to 110 And, you know, and guys really like them. And for that brand, you can feel the quality. They use hemp and organic cotton in their T-shirts. And they're really well made. Everything is pre-shrunk. So, so far, we've had a really great response from guys on that. Yeah. And, you know, this is all again, just a guess. And so we've already, I've already corrected a lot of, a lot of merchandise, whether it's price point or, you know, the style or color of things or just general categories that I am increasing or decreasing in the store based on our customer response. So that's the fun thing about this. It sucks when you buy something that doesn't sell, but you learn, okay, I'm not going to buy that again, or I'm not going to buy anything like similar to that again. Yeah. So do you, you said the like twofold markup being kind of a standard thing. Mm -hmm. are, are you at a point now where that's changing per category or you still have it like everything's just twofold across the border? Is it like dresses no. are twofold, mugs are now <laughs> only going to be one and a half, uh, men's shorts are 1.6, men's shirts are one5 you know, like. Yeah, so it's it's totally based on the specific product. It's not like all mugs. It's like maybe this mug I'm going to mark up or down. Like these $42 mugs, I'm like, oh, maybe I don't want to put them on sale, but I'm going to reprice them to like $38. Right. And then they'll probably sell. Like I should probably do that. <laughs> you, <laughs> you just made me uh, think about the concept of a sale. Like so many people yeah, just like to know right? that things are on sale. People. So yeah, so... Talk about that and having your own yes. shop and learning like the psychology behind, I guess, people buying and stuff. When you just have the word sale on something, is uh -huh. someone more likely to buy it? Oh, absolutely. However, I don't want to damage my brand by having everything on sale all the time. Right. So there's a fine balance. And that's what I learned so much of when I worked for The Gap because doing inventory management, very glamorous. I did like all the markdowns and promotions and I would, you know, come up with the markdown prices and I worked for the website and you, it was so fun. <laughs> Maybe I'm just a nerd, but you know, you would mark down all of these t-shirts, you know, even $2 more and the next day you would sell like, you know, 600 more of them. Wow. Like people are like price elasticity is crazy. Yeah. So I kind of know how to work that game, which is very much to my benefit. Yeah. But yeah, some things like these mugs, like I'm not going to mark them down. They're really beautiful. They, you know, are really working with the aesthetic of the store and like our display right now. So I'm I just, want one of these mugs so bad now. <laughs> like we talked about, I can't believe that we don't have like a photo yeah. or something. Maybe that'll be the episode They're art great. for this is just one of these mugs and nothing yeah. else. That'd be great. <laughs> The ceramic mug. But yeah, yeah I'm just going to mark it down $4 cheaper and it will probably sell. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, like I said, like, oh, I should probably do that. You know, 
I have a million things to do every day. So sometimes, you know, I wait a month. I'm like, oh, maybe I should have done that a month earlier. But it's hard to keep on top of every single thing all the time. Yeah, I try to do a good job of it and, you know, mark things down here and there. And some things, you know, you just kind of get sick of looking at. You're like, that's not moving. No one's going to buy it. We just need to straight mark that down and make a little sale table. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, it's really helpful. And you can just kind of play with it like that, too. So how many hours a week do you work? I would imagine it's got to be such an (laughs) unbelievably (laughs) high number because I work a ton on the podcast and yet there's only so much actual interviewing and stuff (laughs) that I do. You know, it's like a finite amount of that. And then it's like everything else just takes a lot of time. And then we live in a day and age, unfortunately, and, and and having a brick and mortar shop doesn't even alleviate these pressures. We live in a day and age where like you have to have a website. It has to be upkept. You have to be taking bomb ass photos of your stuff. You have to be posting those photos on Instagram and on a Facebook page and try to get people to like it and do this sort of marketing and do that sort of marketing and all (laughs) these things. And it's like, and then everyone asks you about like, well, how is your this and how is your that marketing and how is this going? And it's like, uh, I, you, you have to deal with all of the same things that someone that only has a virtual store has to deal with mm-hmm. except for you also run a brick and mortar store <laughs> um are you uh, two questions i guess one are you trying to double those up so like when while you're in your store and customers are not in there are you like on your computer trying to do other things and two just how many like total hours a week are we t- do you ever not work? are you working right now i i well duh yeah I am. this is work <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Zero hours. Um, I don't know how many days a week or days a week. I work seven days a week, but I couldn't even tell you how many hours a week I work. And, you know, I luckily I have found a balance. I'm not one of those people who can like stay up until 3am, like doing emails or spread. Like that's not me. I'm in bed by 10 o'clock. I'm like, I'll finish it tomorrow. I can be pretty efficient with my work. Luckily. Totally. Um, so that's not my lifestyle. And I also need to take breaks. <laughs> I need to go to yoga class like a couple times a week or just yeah. take a walk outside in the morning for like 20 minutes to clear my head. Or I know I'm just, I'm going down a black hole yeah. into just stress. Yeah, I feel you. Yeah. So, um, so I, I do, I am working all the time and, you know, I'm on all the time. <laughs> it's funny because on my phone, I get alerts every time we make a sale, which is awesome. But makes me crazy too. I bet. So so when I'm not in the shop, I am still in the shop yeah. in a way. But you know, I I have been lucky too to hire employees who are wonderful and I really trust them with the shop. And so I'm able to, you know, go on weekend trips here and there still. And I learned that really early on that I like the first couple of weeks we were open, I'm like, oh wow. Like I the store doesn't close. Like we're open seven days a week. And that's how it should be. And that's how it's going to be forever. Yeah. You know, maybe until we're like rolling, but you know, it's open seven days a week and I could already feel myself, you know, getting, getting burnt out after a few weeks and I had to take a break. And luckily I already had one employee by that point, but I'm like, maybe I need to take like two days off a week just because it's a lot talking to people in the store all day. You know, that's the best part of my job. And that's what you know, especially on busy days and there's a lot of people, you know, I could be doing that all day and maybe only doing two hours of work. Yeah. But it's, I'm very much the same way as you. Like, I don't know how people make 
something their truly only sole focus and i i would kill for that sort of love for one thing but like the saying familiarity breeds contempt like i i fully understand that it's like if all you think about for seven days a week all day every day is your clothing shop at a certain point it's not fun anymore it's just like like you want to get there on, let's say you took Saturday, Sunday off. You want to show up on Monday and be like, man, like it looks so beautiful. God, like this yeah. place is great, man. I really do like it. Yeah. Not like, oh my God, I'm here again. You know? <laughs> like, and that happens. That's not great. Yeah. And like when I work seven days in a row sometimes, because that does happen. And, you know, and so usually like if I'm in Phoenix and not, it's kind of why I like force myself to go out of town sometimes because I like to travel, but I also like, I'm like, I'm not going to go into the shop if I do that. But yeah, it does seem kind of like, oh man, I'm here again. And, you know, my job, I, I have to be creative. And, you know, there are days, you know, or like a string of days here and there where I just don't feel inspired at all. And I'm like, I don't know what to put on our Instagram or I don't know how I'm going to, you know, re-merchandise this section of the store. And if I take a step away for a few days, I'm t- like you said, I'm totally re-energized and refreshed. And, um, it's, it's so helpful. I don't know how to do it any other way. And sometimes I question myself. I'm like, should I care more? Like, I care. This, I, this of is course like, I do. God, but. This is the frustrating thing about <laughs> living in a country like America. And, yeah. and, and it's the thing is, it's all like fake and BS, too. It's like it, it, it's no different than on Facebook and Instagram and all these things, how people always say, like, oh, don't judge your life compared to like photos that you yeah. see because everyone's, you know, obviously only posting like the greatest things that they're doing. Yeah. So why are you comparing it to that? <laughs> It's very frustrating when you, you know, hear all these people who are just like, yeah, just like run through a brick wall and like, you know, you just wake up at 4 a.m. every day and you go to bed at 2 a.m. every day and you work seven days a week and then you're a billionaire and it's awesome and like, (laughs) and you should love it just as much as I love doing it. And it's like, and then you question yourself when you do, like you said, like take a day off or something and you're just like, man, like, would this be more successful if I wasn't taking this day off? And then there's a part of you that almost feels like shame for taking the day off and it's like who am I to be taking a day off when I have my own business and this and that? Yeah. And it's like, totally. that's, that's a, that's horrible. And that's ridiculous yeah. because the answer is, yeah, you, you take a freaking day off. Like it's, yeah. it's all right. You yeah, know? I know. I know. And yeah, I shouldn't feel bad about it. And yeah, I, that's, and again, that's just how I work. Like I, I know I just, I can't function and I can't be creative and I can't be my best business owning self if I don't take days off yeah. and not think about it. Yeah. So Definitely. It's essential. So I would love to know about your employees. You mentioned that you got a couple of great employees. How did that go? It's got to be so difficult and interesting to try to like hand the keys over to somebody and be like, hey, I'm going to trust that you're going to do a good job. (laughs) How many people did you have to interview? Um, Was it all like referral based? How did you find people? Well, yeah, I was very nervous about this at first. I've through this whole process too, I realized the anticipation of everything you do of starting a business is way worse than when you're actually in it, which is just my life. This like, is modern yeah, now. Like, that I feel like is the most okay. important piece of advice that you could ever offer anyone ever yeah. with relation to starting a business or anything in oh, life. Yeah. Like the actual thing is 100% of the time less yeah. bad. I just oh, had a woman on the show recently we recently had an episode called Cancer Survivor and that woman got cancer and she talked about how she thought she had cancer and she turns out she did. Turns out she was correct. Uh And when she actually got the diagnosis, it was like relieving to her because then it was like, okay, well now I can move on 
knowing right. that I have it and start planning like what steps are next. Yeah. Not those weeks before it where it's like, do I have it? Do I not have it? What's going on? Yeah. And you're just like Ooh. this crazy manic person. And it's like, if that principle even applies to something as crazy as cancer, it's like, it makes sense that yeah. it applies to everything else. It's like, just do the thing and it's going to be way less yeah. bad than you think in your head. You know? Oh, I know. Yeah. Well, yeah. And for me, I get, you know, I get like so much pent up energy and it's like, you know, going on a run or like doing the thing and like letting go of that energy is all you need to do. But anyway, so going back to the employees, I was really nervous about who am I going to hire? They have to be perfect. This is my baby. You know, how am I ever going to trust someone? And luckily, so I found two gals, one I found on Instagram. Um, she messaged me and she was like, hey, I've worked at Free People. I was a manager for five years. I'm like, well, that's the perfect resume. Okay, that sounds good. And I ended up interviewing her and she was wonderful. And she actually knew the first employee that I hired. And the first employee I found, I was doing a social media seminar over a weekend um, put on by a group here called the Blogettes. And I was there for three days and this girl was an intern for them. And she also had a job uh, working at Free People or Anthropology. And she's like, oh, you know, I, I heard you're opening a shop. She's like, I actually follow you on Instagram. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Um, and she was like, yeah, I'm looking for something different. I don't want to work for, you know, a corporate retail company. Your shop looks exactly like what I'd want to do. And it was just, it was awesome. So I was like, wow, I can't believe this is happening. Like you seem really great. And so then we went to, um, we, you know, went to a restaurant and like I interviewed her and talked with her and she was just wonderful. And, you know, both of them, I knew that I was going to have to have help with my social media and taking photos and like help with the website and just creative, like visual merchandising in the store too, because I can do all of that, but I can't do all of that and answer emails and do the buying and pay bills. So I knew that I had very specific requirements for people. And I just, I mean, I luckily, I was really, really lucky, I think, and fortunate to find these two girls. And I only interviewed one other person who I found on Craigslist because I put a Craigslist ad up um, about a week before I found both of them. Mm. And that interview went fine, too. And if I wouldn't have met these gals, I probably would have gone with that girl. But um, yeah, so it just kind of worked out. How have you benefited since like I guess I more mean almost mentally than anything else since yeah. you've brought them on because it's something I think about a lot um, with yeah. the podcast which I have uh, one of my very good friends that, that edits this but unfortunately like we don't really get to work together per se uh-huh. um, and I always wish I had like someone to like work with and be like okay you're you do these things and I do these things like yeah. you feel like everything's going better now that you have other people that you can delegate some things to. And it's like everyone does the things that they're best at and you do the things that you're best at versus you doing everything and doing it like, okay, kind of. Totally. And that's, I don't know where I read this quote or something. It's probably some famous quote about entrepreneurship, but it's basically like hire people who can do things better than you. Right. And so I hired both of these girls because they take way better pictures than I do. They really understood like the creative direction and where I wanted the shop to go. And even, you know, they helped me even form the brand identity for the shop through photos and through merchandising and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's been a tremendous relief having them. And I, my first employee I had even two weeks before I opened the shop, cause she was helping me with inventory. And I mean, we had thousands of pieces of product 
um, that we had to tag and put in the system and everything. And so she helped me with that and photograph everything. And I, I couldn't have done it on my own or it would have taken me another month, you know, versus taking four or five days. Um, so it's been a tremendous help and relief and they have helped the business grow and I don't know where it would be without them. You wow, know, it, that's awesome. it almost makes me emotional thinking about it because like, I, I truly, I think it was like, the, you know, the universe putting the three of us together and it really couldn't have been any better. Yeah. So. It's awesome. It's so nice to get signs like that, which yeah. like I take it, I like I use it. It's almost like the universe put us together. It's yeah. like when, when things like that happen, I think that you're meant to like take those things as a sign yeah. that, that this means that this business was meant to succeed. Like this means that I was meant to do this thing or whatever yeah. it is. Um, yeah. and if that's all BS, like I don't really care because yeah. it's good to have thoughts like that. And yeah. why not? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And even, you know, going through all of the hardship about starting a business and for me, even just moving to a different state and I didn't know anyone here really. And like, I was truly starting over and then, you know, finding these people and just, you know, the great things that have happened since then have just been, you know, I've been really fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. So you, your place is in a pretty um, like awesome shopping center yeah. in Phoenix. It's a glorified strip mall. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> no, I mean, everything cool. in Phoenix yeah. is a strip mall. So it's like, you know, it's, it's like whether awesome or not it's a center. good one or not, you know, it's like, but and yours isn't a good one. Yeah. So what is the, uh, I know this is all going to be so different depending on where people live and this and that, but like yeah. Phoenix is a relatively inexpensive city. That being said, you're in a relatively nice strip mall. Uh-huh. Uh, what is the like month to month rent like? for having yeah. a retail space and how quickly were you at a point where your sales at least met that? Like if yeah. nothing else, they paid the rent. Yeah. Um, so we opened mid October and I was able to pay my first month's rent. Wow. Within those 15 days, which was awesome. And our rent, I don't know if I can say numbers on here, Please, that, but yeah. it's, yeah, it's 4,800 a month, okay. which is high for Phoenix. Yeah. Again, I had no idea. I had looked at places while we were in San Francisco and kind of, you know, comparable places here. And I knew it was a little high. Um, But I think in retail, you know, it's all location, location, location. Like I knew like this, I learned this like back in college, like if you're going to open a shop, you have to have an amazing location. Like no one's just going to drive to my shop like now people do and i have loyal customers right. but at the beginning like How are they i needed to begin with? i needed foot traffic yeah. and you need other anchors around you so we have a grocery store and there's i think like five or six restaurants in the plaza and now there's other boutiques too so all of that foot traffic is helping us so um yeah that's awesome um what did you do like the week that you open to, I guess, try to guarantee some sort of <laughs> business? Or was it like, hey, we're here. We, like you said, like it's a good location and all that. So that should just help get people in here. Yeah. So we haven't really touched on Instagram yet. So I'll do that here. Yeah. Um, Instagram has been essential to the business. Um, I had already garnered, you know, like a pretty decent following, maybe like a thousand or so people um, by the time we actually opened. And so, you know, opening day, and now it's like, okay, it's today. And we had people come into the store that day and say, oh, I've been following you on Instagram. And I started chronicling our journey 
uh, probably nine months prior to the shop opening. So my first buying trip in New York, I started doing Instagrams and I was like, I'm on the Lower East Side at this coffee shop. This is, you know, stuff I bought for the store today at this show. And I would like take pictures of it and it wasn't like super pretty or curated or anything, but I was like, I bet people are going to really enjoy this to see, you know, this, yeah, entire journey from the beginning. And so, yeah, I think I started hashtagging stuff and I think, um, I don't know. I think I would hashtag like Phoenix and Phoenix Boutique and then like people kind of start to pick up on it and like maybe tell their friends or like comment on their friends stuff. And totally. yeah, I don't know. Maybe we didn't have a huge Instagram following, but somehow like people found us through that and That's it so only cool. grew so much, um, you know, from there too. And our storefront had a sign. So while we were under construction, our storefront had a sign that said local nomad, um, you know, handmade gifts and blah, blah, blah. And we had this awesome mural by a local artist. And so that was up for like three or so months. And so people would walk by all the time because the whole plaza was under renovation and they'd be like, wow, this is really cool. And actually, now that I think of it, our Instagram handle was on that mural. Oh, nice. So that's probably how quite a few people found out about us. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was really helpful. And then since then, it's just kind of really progressed from there. Um, oh, you know, another thing we did, <laughs> now that I'm, this seems like so long ago, we did an event here called the Phoenix Flea. Mm. And so it's it's kind of like a curated like maker's mart. When I say flea market, you kind of think of like, you know, People random in their weird pennies and stuff. things. Yeah. So, but it's, it's like a, an elevated like maker's mart. So it's a lot of you know, local Arizona makers and local shops too, who come to sell their things. And so there was one in August and, you know, we still weren't open yet, but I had found out that as a local shop, you could apply to be in it. So I think probably back in like June, I applied and I said, okay, you know, this is the stuff that we have. We're a new shop that's opening. And so um, we ended up being able to sell and have a little booth there. And so we, you know, had a sign that said, follow us on Instagram. And, you know, we sold a bunch of stuff then too. And we were like, yeah, we're a new local shop. We're, you know, two miles up the road. We're going to be opening. I think at the time I was like, oh, in three weeks slash two months. (laughs) Um, And so now that I think about it, that's probably how we got a lot of followers and who, yeah, became pretty loyal followers and still who are probably loyal customers who saw us that first event we did. Because that was like, I guess, the first really true marketing thing that we did. It's such a great idea to do all that stuff yeah. ahead of time and not just wait till the doors open. You know, yeah. like you said, starting your Instagram nine months ahead of time and yeah. um, mm-hmm. doing the Phoenix Fleet thing like months, well, you thought weeks, but like right. m- months ahead of time and everything. It's such <laughs> yeah. a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. And I totally forgot we did that. And we've done it twice since too, because there are three Phoenix Flea events during the year. And for us, you know, we have to pay, I think it's just under $200 to do it, but you know, thousands of people come to the event and it's, for me, it it feels like free marketing, Mm -hmm. you know, because we get to meet people and, you know, we hand out our business cards. Right. So if you can just sell 200 bucks worth of stuff, then you can like pay for it. And then, yeah, like the marketing is awesome. Yeah. So it's a, it's a really great event and it's, you know, people in the community really love it and the event, you know, supports all kinds of local businesses. So that's awesome. Yeah, it's cool. So how are things going now? Like, are you at a point where all of your expenses every month get paid for and you're starting to pay back um, the like amount that you had to drop? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are. Yeah. So we are. Well, so inventory is like our main expense, right? Because 
that's, you know, kind of 50% of our sales yeah, yeah. every month. And then we have our rent, which is our second bi- biggest expense. And then payroll is probably third. So yeah, we're paying all of that and, um, and more. So we're kind of, I'm chipping away at the initial investment and then my credit card, which I'm going to, which I was talking about earlier, which get a credit card that has zero APR for like 18 months. Cause that saved me. Cause I put most all of my inventory on that at yeah. the beginning. So yeah. I'm starting to chip away at that too. Nice. So, which I mean, yeah. And it feels like it's been really successful so far. So, um, it feels good to be able to do that right now. And I feel confident that I'll be able to pay off that card and then probably pay off the initial investment by, I don't know, the initial investment maybe by the end of next year or a little later than that. Yeah. That's yeah. still so fast. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's been great. And I, again, like I attribute a lot of this. I always, I feel like 50% or more of our sales have come through people finding us through Instagram. That's so crazy. I yeah. Can't even believe like maybe that. more than that. Yeah. Yeah. How wonderful. Yeah, it's yeah, and Instagram, I mean it's free. It really is wonderful. Yeah. It it makes opening a small business seem a lot less scary, I think. Which is cool because I feel like it gives people the opportunity to say, "Hey, I can just start posting stuff on here whether you make jewelry or whatever and hashtagging it or finding people who, you know, like those things and you know, trying to find those customers that way." And then, you know, it's kind of like anyone can do it. So something that I never asked about when you very first opened up is knowing how much stuff to buy. Like, is that a super nerve wracking thing of like, oh my God, am I going to spend all this money and it's not enough? And, or am I going to like put out these clothes? It's going to get sold in one day. And then I'm just going to have like a sign up, like, sorry, everything's sold. Like there's nothing here anymore. (laughs) Great question. Again, a big gray area. (laughs) So I had an idea. I actually looked online. You know, there's nothing online that says, this is how you start a retail shop. However, I did find this one book that was, I think that was the name of it, like how to start a retail business 101. And it was like 15 years old, but it was like, you know, create your sales plan, like, you know, kind of go bottoms up, like what's your rent going to be? What, what do you think your expenses are going to be? And so I kind of, you know, went through all of that process and then said, okay, I need to hit this much money throughout the year to, you know, make some money myself and then pay all of my expenses. And so therefore you kind of back into the inventory that you need to uh, fulfill those sales, right? Mm, Again, that's something I did at Gap a lot, not fun to think about or talk about, but you just kind of back into it and say, okay, this is the cost amount of inventory that I need. And then I kind of broke that into different categories and so I said, you know, I want home goods to be X percent of my my sale or my inventory. I want men's in general to be this much, men's clothing this, men's gifting items this, kids stuff this. And so I, as I was buying, I tried to go along those guidelines. And so I just had this big spreadsheet with categories and then subcategories. And I would fill in, you know, the dollar amount of whatever buys I made by vendor. Mm-hmm. So I kept track of stuff that way. But... So yeah, I, I found this number that I needed and it was, I think it was around like 60,000. And I also kind of gut checked that based on the shop I used to work at because I knew kind of roughly how much inventory we had all the time. And I was like, all right, well, that sounds right. Right. And then I would definitely doubt myself sometimes and be like, oh my God, everything's going to sell out. You know, everything <laughs> I bought is so cool and so cute. Everyone's going to buy it up. <laughs> sometimes I would make more orders like back in June. And then I also had freakouts where I was like, 
oh my God, I bought way too much stuff. And in the end, I ended up buying way too much clothing, I think, as I had mentioned. Yeah. Um, but everything else was, you know, kind of okay. I probably had too much inventory in general. And then you learn things like some things, you know, started to sell out in a few weeks and I had to start placing reorders for those. Right. So you started to learn like what categories or types of things sell faster than others? Oh, yeah. So two things here. So one thing I keep talking about our clothing, but that was just one of the biggest learnings for me. And it was one of the biggest, it was the biggest investment I made because clothing's expensive. And like I said, most of our clothing is kind of between the one and $200 range. So each piece I buy is like 50 to 75 bucks, you know, times a couple hundred. That's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, in the holidays, people, especially in Phoenix, Phoenix, people are really buying clothing in the spring because, that's just how it is here. It's hot weather and everyone refreshes their wardrobe then. Mm-hmm. In the winter, they come into my shop and they saw all of these new gifting items and they're like, oh, wow, I'm going to buy, I'll buy this $12 chocolate bar before, you know, I buy a $200 dress. And so people sometimes even overlooked the clothing. So um, people are really in gifting mode in the holidays. And the way my store is laid out, you know, I need to put way much more pressure on those categories than I do clothing. And so, which I've already corrected for next year, because I just already had to buy for fall, which is crazy because it's only what, March? Damn, that's crazy. Yeah. And that's the hard part about buying clothing too, because you have to make this investment so far in advance. Why? Uh, because it takes that long to produce. Oh, okay. yeah. So you're like, t- like Zara you see can a make- photo of yeah. one of them, but they haven't made them yet. Like you need to uh, get them made. They make samples. Sometimes I buy off photos. Yeah, yesterday I spent a lot of hours of my life buying off of line sheets. So that's when you know the vendor will say, "Okay, here's all the photos, and here's a lookbook of everything with you know a model kind of modeling all of the clothes, like how they style them, and then you get another PDF file of this is." this shirt in yellow, this is this dress, blah, blah, blah. And then you kind of make your buys off of that. But I don't prefer to do that at all. So that's why, you know, you go to LA or New York or whatever and actually go to the shows and see the clothing and touch and feel it in person Mm -hmm. because you're putting a lot of money behind it. But yeah, you have to do it like six months in advance. Wow. So So what was it like for trying to buy spring, summer, fall? Like, I mean, the summer just lasts basically like seven months here or something. Totally. (laughs) <laughs> what was it like trying to buy the clothes for that? Is everything just like tank tops and nothing yeah, else? I mean, yeah, just like bras and underwear. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, we shall see how everything does. I bought a lot. Actually, no, false. I actually didn't. My next and last clothing delivery should be like this week. And I'm not getting anything in until August because I freaked out. Because in Oct- So I had to buy for spring like three weeks after we opened. And I already knew, I was like, oh my God, I have way too much inventory. I have to correct this in spring. And I'm already, I'm selling stuff right now that I bought last January to sell in July. Okay. Like, cause I thought I was going to open in July. So I have stuff from last summer that I'm selling right now. Okay. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> Which my customers don't know. Now yeah. they might, but <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Even it matters to me because I'm just sitting on that cost inventory and I, I don't want that, you mm-hmm. know, like on my books. But that's just kind of what I had to do. And I think that's unfortunately kind of common because you just don't know. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, so I didn't buy anything for the spring. And you, some brands have what we call immediates. So 
if I start to run out of stuff, like I might actually place a couple immediate orders for really lightweight, you know, cotton or linen-based fabrics, um, just like a few other styles to like have some newness going into summer. Because what I've heard from fellow shop owners and people is like my business is going to die from like June through July just because, you know, everyone's out of town. It's so hot. Like I probably don't want to buy any clothes this summer, but yeah, for sure. I, you know, this is going to be my first summer, so we'll see. But I played it extra safe um, with clothing and we'll have all kinds of other stuff in the store and that stuff, you know, I can get in, you know, within a week to four weeks usually is the lead time for everything other than clothing. Yeah. It makes so much sense. There's so many people that have like two homes in Arizona, like you know, yeah. one home's in Phoenix, one home is somewhere else and they go yeah. elsewhere in the, in the summer. There's like it, just tons of college students in Arizona yeah. that leave and yeah. And yeah, and yeah what, what are you going to buy really? Like I can't imagine purchasing anything with sleeves on it. Like during, it's like, yeah, exactly. When it's like 110 degrees out, like I, I imagine everyone just walks around without shirts on. Like, I don't know what you're supposed yeah. to do. Exactly. I mean, I don't know. I, yeah. And like, I moved here in June and, you know, I didn't like have a job for three months all summer. So I wore shorts in the same tank top pretty much every day yeah. for three months. And I'm like, oh my God, I have to get dressed and like, look, you know, presentable at work now, yeah. but I'm going to be so sweaty. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> really not looking forward to it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, and for guys, I bought a lot of swim trunks. And just like easy t-shirts and for women, yeah, just super, super lightweight fabrics. And I already have people in there telling me, you know, oh my gosh, I, you know, I love these fabrics that you have because I can wear them, you know, all summer. Oh, nice. Yes, I did that right. Okay. That's great. You know, for some things. So yeah, it'll, it'll be a great learning. You know, I think, you know, once I've had a full year of owning the shop, I'll know so much. I'm still learning so much about the customer. Yeah. You know. It's interesting, something that you could possibly try, like something that was so great in San Francisco is everyone is like trying to come up with different ways to generate revenue because mm-hmm. things cost so much money there. Yeah. So everyone has like pop-up shops of this and that yeah. inside their store. And it's like that, I guarantee you, like almost nobody's doing that in Phoenix because, you know, places are less expensive and why would yeah. I let someone else in my store or whatever? But it's like yeah. if the summertime is so rough it's like i don't know maybe you uh let someone do like cocktails in the evening at your store like i don't know what you know that never know it's so funny Um, i was literally talking to someone about that yesterday oh really (laughs) she's a local artist and i was like i was like i want to do like pop-up shops and workshops this summer because it just to give like the locals something to do because you're not gonna be hiking or going outside or even really eating outside for like three months. Yeah, so totally. I was like, I would love to do something to like bring people together. Um, that's so funny. Yeah, Dude, literally yesterday we were it. talking about that. But yeah, and speaking of workshops, we are starting to do that kind of thing too now. Now that I kind of have my feet on the ground, I can focus on those fun things. Um, so we're doing a first one on, you know, natural beauty products. Um, I have a friend who's a holistic health coach and she's coming in to talk about those things and we carry some natural and organic skincare in the shop. And so we're doing that in a couple of weeks and then we're having a macrame hanging workshop. And so I think doing those things, it's just fun and, you know, maybe they'll generate revenue and that'll be great, but it's also just like bringing the community together and, you know, giving, providing a place for people, you know, with similar interests to come together and just meet each other. Yeah. Because I'm all about that. Again, just moving here, you know, I want to meet people too. And I know how it is not knowing anyone, you know, when you're 30 years old and moving to a different city. So I want to provide a space where other people can 
do that and feel comfortable too. That's awesome. I love yeah. it. Um, let's delve a little bit more into your personal schedule and how <laughs> I guess that's changed. And if you've tried to like alter it or make it better in any way, um, what, uh, like, what are the different things that you work on throughout a day? What, what's like your mm-hmm. favorite thing to work on? And do you just kind of go with the flow and do things as they come up? Or do you try to structure your days and structure even days of the week? Like, okay, on Monday, I focus on buying. On Tuesday, I focus on replying to emails. On Wednesday, I focus (laughs) on this. Or is it just like, oh, I just do things when they feel right to me? Yeah, I 100% go with the flow. I I try to structure my days (laughs) and it just doesn't work. Yeah. Because, you know, some days we'll have customers come in and I'll have three customers who each stay for 45 minutes and I chat with them. Which is great. And that's my number one priority when I'm at the shop, like talking with customers. Um, so, you know, I, I get distracted very easily because of that. So it's kind of hard to do like projects when I'm at the shop or even like this buy I was doing yesterday off of these line sheets took me literally all day because I kept coming back to it every 30 minutes, you know, when, you know, people cleared out or, right, you know, I was done right. talking with people. So it's it's kind of really hard to get stuff done. So I go with the flow and I make my to-do list every morning. Sometimes I won't check anything off. <laughs> Sometimes I'll check five things off, you know. It's it's really random. But yeah, and you know, I typically work like 10 to 7. That's when we're open during the weekdays. So, um, you know, I you know, sleep until like seven or eight sometimes yeah. maybe i'll wake up earlier and do something but yeah <laughs> and then i kind of mosey into work and you know just kind of zen out and put my music on and think about what i have to do during the day that's cool and like yeah that. just kind of try to approach it the same way every day knowing that whatever i'm thinking is going to happen or what i'm going to get done like probably isn't going to work out that way yeah so just kind of have to let go so Let's uh, let's start to wind this thing down, and I guess maybe give that piece of advice uh, first of all for anyone listening that wants to try to start their own business. Something that I found very difficult uh, with the podcast, and something I would love to get your perspective on mm-hmm. with your store, is trying to be a little bit more like Zen about everything and not yeah. n- not feeling like everything has to be so perfect and so just mm-hmm. so, and not treating every moment of every day like a life or death scenario and like yeah. oh my god that didn't get done that way by this date and this and that because like so much of the time it doesn't go down like that and yeah. then you can just get really down <laughs> on yourself you know or like yeah. down on the situation so um i guess like what have you learned about all of that to try to help alleviate some of that and uh and how do you how do you handle that yeah i mean I don't know. People ask, I think, you know, when people think of my job or any entrepreneur, like you said, it's like, oh my gosh, you must be working 24 seven. And it's so crazy and stressful. And definitely at the beginning it was because I was just running on fumes and I was very anxious about opening the shop. And then the first few weeks I was working 24 seven and trying to make sure everything was together. But I, I feel like I've had way more stressful jobs or maybe it was a different kind of stress. Like I handle this kind of stress so much better than if I'm working for a big corporation. And, you know, I used to have to make presentations on this, you know, $250 million business like three times a week to like the heads of the website at Gap. You know, like that was really stressful to me. And in some ways I thrived in that environment and I worked so much. But, you know, working for people and having that pressure of I have to 
do this or, you know, I'm not good at my job or, you know, these people are looking over my shoulder every day, like that kind of stress I didn't deal with well. And that's part of the reason why I knew I needed to try this be my own boss thing. So I, I think I just work a lot better where I'm accountable, which is, again, scary in some ways because it's like, I literally am accountable for everything. Like I don't have a boss anymore, which is a crazy thing kind of when you start out. And especially when I was working on building the shop, some days I would just, I would sit at home. I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do today? Like I, I don't have a schedule. Like I have to do that on my own and figure out what my tasks are for the day in the week and this month. And eventually I think you kind of get the hang of it. And I have now, but um, yeah, I, I think just knowing that the accountability is all on me, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I just thrive in this environment a lot better. It's a type not of to say I don't get stressed. Okay yeah, not to say I don't get stressed, but I also know how I know when I'm like hitting that limit. And usually for me, it's just Lauren. I need to go. Like you need to go take a yoga class for like an hour and a half. Hour and a half. Like chill out. And then I'll like, I'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. And like talking to my husband too, like he's very great at talking me off the ledge and telling me, he always tells me, you know, you're going to get it done. Yeah. It might be stressful along the way, but you know, you're going to get it done. Yeah. And just him telling me that is really helpful too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, the yoga class thing is great. It makes so much sense. It's like to just like so much of the time when we have problems, we think like, okay, as soon as I fix this problem or whatever it is, like then I can relax. And it's like, yeah, oftentimes the better answer is to relax and then try again at fixing yeah. your problem. With like a clear once mind. you're relaxed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, let's finish this thing up with, I guess, kind of like your summation of advice for anyone that would like to open up their own sort of brick and mortar store. Oh, okay. Well, I think one would be just to get as much experience as you can um, that relates to what you're doing. So, I mean, for me, like I definitely took a path of, you know, learning corporate retail and working in a boutique and yeah, I definitely could have done it, you know, maybe without the corporate retail experience. I feel like having some kind of, you know, apprenticeship maybe in what you're doing is totally vital because you're going to be putting a lot of money towards this, whatever it is. And which would bring me to number two, like have some money stored away. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Like, yeah, you can put a lot of it on credit cards, but you have to, you know, save your money. And maybe that's, you know, getting a second job at some point or getting a part-time job or, or I don't know, like you're asking your family for money or doing a Kickstarter or something, but like have that money so that you feel somewhat secure doing this and having that experience will make you feel a hundred times more confident. And just also you know, validating that this is what you want to do by having that, you know, kind of apprenticeship in kind of almost exactly what you're going to do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Man, love it. Great advice. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This <laughs> has been course. great. We appreciate this it. This is fun. Yeah. Thank you. Hey everyone, it's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you did, I would appreciate it so much if you considered leaving a review for the show on iTunes. 
I swear it'll only take like two minutes. Um, just search for the show on iTunes, click on it, click on ratings and reviews. You can leave a quick review um, or just uh, keep listening to the show. I appreciate that as well. Or tell a friend about the show or something. And if you have any ideas for the show, if you have a particular job or hobby that you would like to hear interviewed on the show, if you yourself think that you do something interview worthy and you would like to tell the world about what this job or hobby is that you have, head on over to halfhourintern.com. There's a link right there at the top that says submit your ideas and you could submit your ideas for the show, be them uh, somebody else that you would like me to interview, a particular field that you would like to hear about, or even if it is you yourself that would like to come on the show. Thanks so much for listening, you guys.